Well, it is good. I was going to say it's good to be back with you guys. I had a couple of you walk up to me and ask me if I was a visitor this morning. Um, well, greetings from, let's see, where have I been? Uh, Lake Nona, Florida, and the church, Redeemer Church over in Lake Nona, and then also from the church in Prattville, Alabama, uh, His Way Church. And, and, and thank you guys for just, you know, as Peter mentioned, you know, we, we live life equipping one another to live the life that God's called us to live, but also investing the gospel in other places. And that, that is the mission of the church. And uh, we do that. And you do that through a variety of means. And as you gave to Gideon's last week, and we'll have the opportunity in a couple of weeks with the folks in Jamaica as well. Uh, but allowing me the privilege of serving other churches besides just ours uh, is, is a gift to our region, to serve the Sovereign Grace churches in our region and to help them. Uh, please be praying for the church in Prattville, Alabama. This is a new church uh, that's connecting with us in Sovereign Grace and they are in faith sending their pastor and his wife and family to the pastor's college in Louisville, Kentucky. And so they will be departing to head to Louisville in about a week or so. So obviously a lot of upheaval and adjustments for them. So keep them in your prayers, but also much opportunity there as well. Um, We're coming to what's close to the end of summer. And today will be the end of Summer Bible Jam. Uh, there is there are the handouts for your assignments for reading assignments this week. We had some problems printing and cutting them this morning, so they're available in the welcome center on your way out. So please don't forget those. If you do forget them, they're online, so you can go online and get your reading assignments. And you know, it's been really fun, exciting, and a blessing to hear people just come up and tell me their stories about their their little groups that they've been meeting with and folks that they've been getting together and reading the Bible together. And, and listen, one of the reasons that we do Summer Bible Jam, primary reason number one is to just help us fall more deeply in love with this treasure that God has given us in, in our society that neglects this uh this is just a summer's a great time for us to get back around the word and enjoy it uh but it's also to normalize fellowship that doesn't always happen because the church called a meeting what about just christians getting together and reading their bibles and discovering god together and just talking about it right that's just normal you don't need one of us to call a meeting for that to happen and so I'm hearing groups all over the place that have been meeting. I'm here guys who, and you couldn't do our meeting this week, so we got on the phone together and just did a phone call together. I love that level of commitment and enjoyment of this. So thank you guys for how you've embraced Summer Bible Jam. Uh, we are going to pick up the story of Hannah this morning uh, as we study Summer Bible Jam. So if you can find 1 Samuel, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and that's where we're going to pick up Hannah's story and there's much to learn from her life and we're going to focus in on what I think is a predominant lesson that she is going to model for us and teach to us. But if you back up, if you, if you were holding the Hebrew Bible, uh, it wouldn't be laid out exactly the way your Bible is laid out. First and second Samuel would not be two books, it'd be one. And if you backed up from chapter 1 of 1 Samuel into the book right before it, it wouldn't be Ruth. Ruth would be later in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it would be, because the Bible's not arranged chronologically, by the way. 
if you backed up, you would back up to Judges. Right? So back up to Judges with me. Right, that's the book right before Ruth. And this is how Judges closes its presentation. Judges chapter 21 verse 25. Says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I just contemplate that for a moment. What must that have been like? Well, quite honestly, you kind of know what that's like. Because you kind of live in a culture that feels that way. Right, there's two categories in this passage. There is the idea that there would be a king over the gathering of people, over the nation, over the peoples. And then there's the idea that individuality is, is being licensed in this passage to do whatever that individual feels like is right for them to do. Right, so if you just took, picked up those two concepts from this passage and said, let's pull this from 1050 BC and stick it in 2018 where we live. And we live with these two things every day. Right, there is more so now than I think ever before in the history of our nation a casting off of authority. And you hear it, it's in the news, it's the way the news speaks about authority. It's the way the news speaks about government, right? So the, the king represents, if you will, centralized authority. That's what the king is in this passage. The king is the centerpiece that a bunch of people take their cues from the king. The king decrees things, the king makes rules, the king says you can't do that and you do that on this day and here's how we live in the land. And the king gets to tell everybody how to live. And we don't like that today. We don't like the idea that anybody would be the boss of me. Don't come at me man. Anybody use that phrase? Right? There's this idea that I should have my own space and that no one should be imposing their ideas on me. And the second the media in particular catches somebody doing that, the imposition of an idea, the presentation of an idea, like this is not just an idea that's for me personally, this is an idea for you too. Oh, and by the way, you, you had better be doing this. You let the media catch somebody doing that? Flag gets thrown on the play. Noise gets made. Loud opposite. I'm almost like, how dare you think that you can impose your ideas on someone else? Well, that, that's the whole nature of government. You understand, if you don't do something like that, what you're going to substitute for that form of order is just Chaos. You can't do culture, you can't do society without everybody coming together and saying, hey, you know what, I might need to forgo some of my personal preferences and ways of doing things and go with what the king says if we're all going to get along. Because I can't get you and you and you and you to do it the way I want it done. And you can't get me to do it either the way you want it done. And so if we're going to be a society... We're going to need an authority, aren't we? We're going to all need to abandon a little bit of our own opinion and ways and come underneath 
someone else's authority. Well, that's what's in this passage. But in those days, there was no king. The society, the culture didn't look to something outside of themselves to say, how do we do this? What's right and what's wrong? So in its place, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And our culture is quickly trying to figure out how to empower the individual to have the right to do whatever they want to do the way they want to do it. And you listen from now on, as you listen to the news, the second somebody steps on that right, that's when the news brings it to your attention. Someone dared to not give that person license, permission, and affirmation to do life the way they wanted to do it, when they wanted to do it. Okay, that's what this verse is. So we're very familiar with this. But this is the times in which Hannah lived. This is the verse preceding what we're about to read. And when we pick up 1 Samuel, the mood is set. And we, we walk into 1 Samuel from Judges with this being the way life feels. But here's the great reality. Like it or not, this is the great reality. Human beings came from somewhere. There's a creator, a designer, a universe engineer who designed everything to operate a certain way. And into his universe, he injected authority. He did not inject, hey, everybody do whatever you want to do, however way you want to do it. That's not in the created order. The created order looks to him who made everything, and he is the king over creation. And so authority is part of our script. You and I as human beings need authority. I need to look outside of me. I need someone to tell me how to exist. Define things for me. Tell me the boundaries. Tell me the priorities. Tell me what really matters more than something else. I am not qualified to do that for myself. I need my creator to do that for me. And the idea that that human beings are going to live in this world and actually be able to kick authority out of their life and not have a king is a foolish idea. Because what you'll do in that moment is you will simply come under the rule of something else. You will be ruled by something. I've got really bad news for you. If you reject the king of the universe, you will get the God of this world in his place. Do you know who the God of this world is? Satan is the God of this world. He has power and authority to act in this world. You can act as though I will not let the king of glory rule over me. Well, whether you volunteer or not, you will be under the authority of the God of this world. Jesus came to release us. The Bible says that we were held captive by him. Well, how could he capture us? Because he has the authority to do it. And he has the power to do it. 
It says that people were held in lifelong captivity because of the fear of death that the devil had the power over in people's lives. And it took a savior to rescue us from that. When the Bible turns around and says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in heavenly places. Did you know there are powers? Right? The word power, listen, hopefully I'll get to my message in a minute. Um, the word, the word power in scripture is an interesting thing because when, when it's translated power, it's often the word exousia, which is actually the word that means the right to exercise power. So it's, it's kind of an interesting translation. And so there are powers and principalities in this world. They have the right to exercise power in this world. And you can run around all you want and say, I am the captain of my own ship and no one will tell me what to do. That's wrong for anybody else to impose their will on me. Do you understand? The devil doesn't care what you have to say in that category. He is going to impose his will on you. And your only hope is to run under another authority. If you try and use your own authority, because you have none. Adam had lots of authority until he gave it away in the garden. And the only authority that exists now is in the God of this world or the King of glory. And you're going to run to one or the other. Now what's all this got to do with Hannah? Um, Well, Hannah... Hannah is going to see something. And I hope I can get to the end of this story quickly. Uh, Hannah is going to see something of this king. Right, so let me back us up to Hannah so you can see how significant of an individual she is in God's story. One day, everything we know of the realm of existence is going to be pulled back together into this new heaven and this new earth. And there's going to be a king who is sitting on a throne there. So there will be this king. And before that king, right, you know, we don't, we don't see it. I remember Isaiah saw it. We get glimpses of it in scripture. There is a throne right now. And there's a king sitting on that throne right now. You and I just don't see it. But there's coming a day when we will see it. And when Jesus came, he came in fulfillment to reveal that he was this king. Because he was the king who would sit, remember, on the throne of who? David. Right? So at some point, we get the king in his throne in glory. We get the king come to earth to fulfill sitting on the throne of the king, David. But before we get to David, we're going to have to have a prophet who is going to follow and be led by God faithfully so that even he can identify whoever David's supposed to be so that he will be the man who sits upon that throne. Back up from that prophet to a woman who lives in a village who's dying to have a baby. And that's where we find Hannah. Right? So there's something eternal in, about, in what Hannah's about to do here that has great consequence. All right, 1 Samuel, turn forward there, the 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's read these first few verses. It says, There was a certain man of Ramathim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Joram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year, from his city to worship and to sacrifice 
to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Now, rather interesting here in in analyzing these times. We, We just learned something about these times, right? These times are described in that phrase at the end of Judges. There was no king, and each man did what was right in his own eyes. But isn't it interesting that people can do what's right in their own eyes and still leave room for religion? Because they did. The temple's not, the, the tabernacle's not shut down, it's operating. And it's being led. And there are people who are recognized as ordained individuals who are leading in these settings. But the world has become corrupt. And even the settings of ministry, the church settings, have become corrupted. Right? These two guys, and they're highlighted here. Let me just get their resume before you. If you turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12... Get a little bit of a background on Hophni and Phinehas who get mentioned in chapter 1. It says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. They were serving as the priests for the people. They were the recognized officials who represented God to the people. They wore the robes. They went through the rituals. They conducted services. People would have seen them as playing a role ordained by God. And the Bible turns around and said, they didn't know the Lord. Warning. You and I can do religion and not really know the Lord. These guys conducted services regularly. They weren't even Elkanah and Hannah who were showing up yearly to go through these rituals and practices that God had ordained. These guys were doing this year around all the time. And still not knowing the Lord. That can be any of our story, not just theirs. Look in verse 17 of chapter 2. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They have a heart to submit to and do things the way God had ordained. Look in verse 22. Now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons. It's no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So you get a little bit of a taste of the level of corruption that exists during this time. But what is God doing in this great moment of darkness where his people and their hearts are so far from him, so bent on individuality, 
So having redefined things around ideas that suit their personal preferences at the expense of doing it the way God would be glorified through it. What is God doing in this setting? I'll go back to chapter 1 here. Verse 4. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her Though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed. If I, if I had to characterize Hannah and say, what, you know, what would you say about Hannah? I'd be hard pressed to overlook something. If you just read the first two chapters in 1 Samuel, you're going to find Hannah is described three times as praying, three times as petitioning, And once as asking of the Lord. So seven times what stood out about her life was that she was a woman who went to God. She prayed. She called out to God. She petitioned God. She asked God of things. That was the posture of her heart and her life. That's what characterized her. Now, Now something's happening here. If you read through the ingredients, these are the ingredients of her life. And let me just say this, and I wish I had a little more time. But um, when I say prayer, it, it's easy for you and I to think, you know, prayer is, is the words that I speak aimed at God. That's what prayer is, right? You know, I go in my prayer closet, I aim words at God. And I, I say, and I've got a little form, and I say certain things, and I pray in Jesus' name. And I pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. I, I know, right? So that's prayer. I, I want you to notice something here in Hannah's life, because I, I think it's critically important to prayer. Prayer has, has tentacles that grow into all kinds of areas of your life. Because you pray when life is a certain way and you are affected by it. And there's other ingredients to your prayer. Right? You, you don't pray the same way in every moment, do you? You know the difference between desperate prayer and prayer before you eat? I mean, do you guys sit down with like when you serving up a hot dog for lunch and okay guys let's pray before we eat and tears begin to form in your eyes I mean I guess if the hot dog's really bad maybe but you know you're not really moved right and when you're praying you just you know want you know God protect me from whatever's in a hot dog I don't even know what it is mystery food um, we don't always pray the same way but please notice this about Hannah's life there are ingredients to Hannah's prayer that started long before words came out of her mouth And one of the ingredients 
that touches her life is what the Bible goes out of its way to say twice. The Lord had closed her womb. This is like, this is like giving God some bad press in today's economy. The Lord had done this. This is a woman growing up who would have had set before her the high calling of bringing children into this world. There there may not have been in her eyes a greater thing that she would ever do in her life than to bring children into this world. And yet year after year after year after year, this longing, this desire in her heart is not going to happen. And she's going to ask herself the hard questions like any of us who have lived life and found ourselves in places where something's not happening for us. Something's not coming to our life that we thought by now, certainly, and it's not some strange, corrupt thing. It's a good thing that you long for and you look at others and, and, and look at what's happening in their life. And, and she's got front row seats. Elkanah's got another wife. She's got children. She's providing. She's watching the laughter and the joy around the table. And year after year that eats at her and eats at her and eats at her. And like any of us, we don't get the behind the scenes questions here. But is she, is she wondering, why God? Why not me? What? What have I done? Why has this not gone my way? And into this why question comes this answer. The Lord has closed her womb. How many guys would just like to create the image of a God who never brings anything into your life that's not, quote, positive? Caring. Supportive. Loving. God is love, right? Isn't he? Can you read this passage and still say God is love? He has closed her womb. The God of love has closed her womb. Can you say that? Because it feels like God's on trial here for us today to say, why wouldn't God? What's wrong with this? Why is God doing this? Well, you know what's really critically important, and the Bible highlights this, is before she begins to even come close to having children, long before that, God was at work in her life. He had closed her womb. She is not in this day because of some accident. Her life is not out of control. She didn't draw the short stick. She didn't make some kind of decision that brought her here. The sovereign God of the universe has been at work in her life. He has closed her womb. And it has had an effect on her. And it is informing how she prays. In a way that needed to inform how she prays. And those aren't the only ingredients, right? There is this provoking presence of another wife who's having children. There is the daily dealing of jealousy and ambition on her part 
that she's having to sort through that somebody else is getting this and this other person makes a sport of it and flaunts it in my face and makes sure that she brings it up in such a way that it's totally irritating for me. And this got her to the point where sadness began to visibly overtake her to the point where her husband gets exhausted by the idea that my wife is depressed. I am, am I not enough for you? My love for you, is that not enough? I mean, she is, she's kind of shut down here. This is affecting this woman. But, but notice something here because she's about to pray something that's going to change the world. How many of you know the way she prays, her ability to pray, started long before words came out of her mouth? All of this is part of her prayer life, shaping the way she will call on God. And here's just a reality. I wrote this in your notes. Life makes its argument that affliction, trial, and need are a better birthplace for prayer than prosperity, ease, and comfort. I don't particularly care for that reality. But when I survey my own life, the evidence is overwhelming. The more stuff goes my way, the more I don't have to maintain anything or interact with it. It's just blessing upon blessing upon ease upon comfort upon blessing upon health upon bills being paid. Everything's going great. Prayer life. Right? But let the world start caving in on you. Let there be fears and threats. Let there be need in our lives. Let there be longings that go unanswered. And let those longings get provoked to where we can't ignore them. And now, now you are in a different setting as Hannah was. Right? The psalmist would say, Psalm 120 says, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. In my distress Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the deep, dark places of life, that's what finds me crying out to God, God, what are you going to do about this? And it deeply affects me. Jonah's an interesting character. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed. To the Lord. When was that? When is that? You know Jonah's story? Have you read chapter 1? Because Jonah doesn't seem to be very interested in prayer in chapter 1. God's interested. God wants to have a conversation. God wants to give him an assignment. God wants to call him as a prophet to Nineveh. God wants to fill in some details. He wants to shut that conversation down as fast as possible. Get on a boat and sail the heck out of here. And run from God. He doesn't want to talk to God. But in chapter 2 he does. <laughs> Gee, Jonah, what happened? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Oh, oh. Saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me. You probably could find out whether your life is distressful prosperous and easy by just right now taking a quick survey what's my prayer life been like this past week and if you're like well you know well intended but no 
not really. Well, then you'd have to ask the question, are things that really, really are important mattering to you and weighing on you and sitting on you? Because if they're not, because, hey, life is easy. It's easy street. Everything's going good. Or I got resources. I can make this happen. Then it could be your prayer time reflects that. But, but Jonah, like others, is crying out to God when he is ripened by his surroundings. And that's Hannah's story as well. John Calvin says this. He says, a sweet and perfect repose is not the characteristic of the spiritually advanced, but simply those whose affairs are flowing to their liking. Right? You're at peace. You're chilling. You're walking. You're doing things. You don't seem jazzed and freaked out and overloaded. That that might not be because you've got an awesome prayer closet. It might just be because everything's going your way right now. That's what Calvin says. Then he says, for the saints, the occasion that best stimulates them to call upon God is when distressed by their own need. They are troubled by the greatest unrest and are almost driven out of their senses until faith opportunity comes to their relief. That's Hannah. She has reached the point where she can't even eat. And her prayer, if you you just look at what characterizes her prayer, a little few verses later there, She says she was pouring her soul out in verse 15. She says, my great anxiety and vexation was what was driving what was coming out of me. That's what life is feeling like for Hannah as she goes to pray. But now look in verse 10. As she starts to pray, notice what she prays. And the content of what she prays. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow. And said, oh Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me. And not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head, which was a Nazarite rite. If you were devoted to the Lord, you didn't cut your hair as a devotion to God and as a statement of that. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Because I'm going to teach on prayer a little bit here this week and the next couple of weeks. and, and you always get interesting prayers, uh, questions about prayer by people. And just look for little clues that help you out when you read the Bible. There was, there was one right there. Because people will ask this question, well, when you pray, should you pray out loud? Because, you know, the devil can hear you when you pray out loud. So, and some of you are laughing, but some of you ask me that question. So, what, so, so did you not pray out loud? Because you don't want to give away the strategy or anything. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Bible doesn't offer us much here except just... She was not hearable, but she was moving her lips. And from Eli's standpoint, it looked like she was crazy. It looked like she was talking to herself. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunk woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink. But I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your 
petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate. And her face was no longer sad. Okay, she just noticed something here. We'll pick this up in the next couple of weeks. She does not have a son at this moment. This is not a son who lifts her countenance. And she can now eat. She was vexed in her soul. But now she can... What did she get? Simply a greater awareness of the promise and faithfulness of God. That's all she's got right now. She can eat. She can go on and do her life. She didn't get her way. She just came near to God and got something from him. And that's what prayer does for us. So take a quick lesson from what she just got released from here. Look at verse 19. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked him from the Lord. Now, This eager longing that started from this woman in a village somewhere whose soul felt the weight and disappointment of not having children, so much so that the ripening squeeze of that began to create this intensity of prayer that she went before God with. But something else was ripening inside of her as well. Something that's going to bring her to the point of being able to pray for something that she's going to, as soon as she gets it, almost as soon as she gets it, she's going to give it away. Would you have thought that was possible from her? She has been anxious and weighted down and discouraged and can't eat and depressed. But God has been doing something in this woman. And she is going to receive from the Lord. But, but look in verse 21. The man Elkanah and all his house. right? She's, she's in due time finally had the son. And he's going to go up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him. So that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. As soon as the child is weaned. About three years old in that setting was when children were weaned. Maybe a little tiny bit later because there was problems with drinking water, etc. So they you know, usually would keep the child on breast milk as long as possible. But you're probably talking three to three and a half years old at the latest. In verse 24, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with the three-year-old bull and ephah of flour and a skin of wine and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. The child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull they brought the child to Eli and she said, Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed and the, the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Can, can you imagine 
all these years calling out, clinging to something of having her own child in her world, sitting around the table, the laughter, the family, the sense of fulfillment, the sense of that I've contributed something into this household. And she's, she's clung to that all these years. And then Samuel comes into her life and she holds him like this before God. Wow! And at three years old, she will present Samuel into the service of the Lord and she may see him once a year after that. There's something to learn from this woman, isn't there? Something about what God is doing. Let's take some quick lessons from Hannah's school of prayer here. In, in the grand scheme of things, there's something a whole lot bigger going on here than once upon a time there was a woman in a village who longed to have children. There's something more going on here. Than, but but you know, that, would, that would be significant. People matter to God. Individual stories matter to God. Your story matters to God. And so it's not as though God didn't care about those things. But there's something bigger going on in this season of darkness, this dark time in the history of God's people where the Bible's going to go on and say words from the Lord were few and people were doing what was right in their own eyes and the corruption that was all throughout God's system. This was a critical time. There were needs here in the kingdom not just in Hannah's personal life. There were needs in the kingdom. Not just in her own life. Did I write this note? Take note here in your, in your outline. Interpreting the times of your life is not just a matter of examining your own life's affairs and activities. It must be about understanding the times and conditions of the kingdom of God. Right? You're... You're doing life. You're feeling the squeeze. You've got dreams and goals and ambitions and you're making room for them. You're making sacrifices. You've got 24 hours that are given to you and you're going to use them up a certain way. And you look at your life and you start thinking, what what would be the best way for me to use the resources of my life? And And you've got dreams. And you've got desires. And you begin to aim at those things. Listen. Interpreting the times of your life is not just a matter of examining your own life's affairs and activities. It is very much about what is going on in the kingdom of God around us during these times. Because what's going to come personally into Hannah's life is going to be there for a moment before it becomes that which blesses the kingdom. See all those years of prayer. We're doing something in this woman's life that we're going to make her capable of something that's mind-blowing to read. To give herself to God's purpose. Listen, this, this, this can't fall too far from us, right? Because the kingdom of God, there's stuff going on in the kingdom of God right now. Around us. There are, there are things about the kingdom of God right now that something like a Samuel can come into our lives that we, we might need to figure out whether or not that is to be given to the kingdom a certain way. 
Because nothing in my life is my own. Nothing in your life is yours. Your time is not yours. Your, en- your, your energy is not yours. What you do with your life is not yours. That, that's not up to you. And it's not up to me. God has a purpose that has to do with eternal things. And, and my life is about those things, not just about my personal address that I want God to come do some things that I have on my list. And that's not all wrong that I would have things on my list. But it becomes a problem when I stop seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and letting him add to me the things that are needed in that context. It becomes a massive problem. There, there are needs in the kingdom around you. This morning, upstairs right now, we are having a children's time of ministry where kids are going to go to the next grade level. So, you know, it's a promotion Sunday. It's a, made a big deal out of it. There's significance that we bring into that moment. And, and there are people who serve in that setting. They serve the children's ministry in that setting. So while you and I are in here, there's a small army of people who look just like you and I up there who are serving in that area of need in the kingdom of God. And let me just let you guys behind the scenes. Uh, You know, we are always, as a a team of elders and pastors, we are are always thinking through how how do we serve God's agenda for this church? How How do we help us take the next step? How do we equip people? How do we influence people with the gospel? How do we equip them to live for the glory of God? So we're always creating meetings, sticking them on calendar, et cetera, et cetera. A common discussion would be the kindest word I can come up with. Because sometimes it's not just a discussion. It's a passionate debate. Is childcare in the things that we do as a church? Because we have much more of a need in that category than we have the resources to meet that need. We don't have enough people serving in childcare to provide opportunities for parents with small children to attend all the things that we do. So there's a lot of the things that we plan that you'll know if you've got small children, you know we'll tell you we'll, there won't be any child care. That's not because we don't want child care to, to exist. Because we don't have the resources for it. Where would that resource come from? Well, if you're Hannah, it might be something in your life that you have to be willing to part with. Time, energy, attention. You've ever done children's ministry? (laughs) Takes all those. Planning, availability. Listen, this, this principle is not just for uh, barren women in Nowheresville, Israel. Right, two weeks from now, Joel Bain from Jamaica will be here and he will share the burden of planting a church in Jamaica with two other pastors that are there serving with him. And there's a significant financial burden to get that started. And so we've invited him to come and to share that burden with us. So that we might participate in the kingdom. Which means something that God has provided into your life. Might need to, you might need to pull a Hannah on that and give it away. 
to another setting for the sake of the kingdom of God. And, and Hannah's going to go on and live 364 days out of the year without that and get to visit him once a year. There are needs in the kingdom of God that you and I participate in. There is a need for prayer warriors like this that I want to get to. But if you and I are going to participate in that, we we have to be willing to part with the Samuels that are in our lives. As precious as they may be, as valuable as they may be to us, we might need to see the kingdom as what God is doing right now has as an importance to it that I willingly engage. This woman does not regret what she did. When you read the rest of her story here, she does not regret what she did. She has faith for what she did. She did it for the glory of God and for the purpose of God. But I recognize God was at work in this woman's life to get her to this place. Back in chapter 1 verse 20 says, In due time, in due time, at the right time, when every ingredient that needed to be assembled before, when all the work of God in her heart was in place at the right time, that child was born. Not before. At the right time. So, so listen, I know that there, are, there can be moments and seasons in any of our lives where we keep waiting and waiting and we're looking and we're waiting and we're looking and we're frustrated and we're jealous and we're bent out of shape and we're anxious. I, we don't know all that God's doing, but God is doing. God had shut her womb. Her womb was not shut by powers outside of God. God had done this. God was at work bringing her to exactly the time when he would open her womb. And it was exactly that time. And that time was the right time for Hannah as well. I don't know if, if, I don't know what this looks like if you move the due date way back here. And the thought comes that I'm going to surrender my son. I'm going to do what? I'm going to release my son into the purposes of God at three years old? Maybe at some point earlier on, that would have been a wreck. But in the right time. And something's been happening in this woman. Her, Her life and her heart is being shaped by these ingredients, these difficult moments and seasons where God is taking her heart and reshaping it and giving it the shape that he desires for it to have so that now she wants to do exactly what God wanted her to do. And all that was part of her prayer life. Right, look at these last verses here. Psalm 37, verse 3. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will act. Boy, that's, that's a week's worth of meditation right in that passage right there. And I, I think it is an explanation of Hannah and her life. At some point, you and I are waiting for something. We're waiting for some big thing from God, right? We're waiting for God to find us a spouse. We're waiting for this right career. We're waiting to live in the right place, have the right leadership opportunity afforded to us. Whatever it is, we're waiting for that and waiting for that. Okay, well, here's some great advice. While you're waiting, here's what you do while you're waiting. Verse 3, trust in the Lord. Do good. 
and dwell in the land. Live where you are. You're waiting for something and waiting and waiting. Don't wait there in misery. Don't fold your arms, get cop a bad attitude because God's late. He's not late, is he? In due time, what God's doing is going to come to pass. Until that time, do good and dwell in the land. Be productive where you are. Fulfill whatever God's got for you right now. Oh, but it's not that. And that's what I really want. Fulfill what you got now to do. Occupy yourself bringing glory to God where you are now. In due time. A time that you don't control. God does. He's going to do these things. Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. What do I do while I'm not getting what I want? I delight myself in the Lord. In having a child, Hannah? No, in the Lord. In in the dream of what it would be like to have your children sitting around the table? No, in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, Hannah. That word delight, it's an interesting word. It's a word that that is also used to to talk about something that's soft and pliable and dainty and delicate. Isn't that interesting? To, To take your desires and to get them around God in a way that's moldable and influenced by him so that he begins to shape it. And that's what Hannah experienced. John Piper says about this verse, he says, You say that if I will put my delight in you, you will give me the desires of my heart. So I'm now going to delight in you. Now that's a key step. Trusting in God sufficiently so that you come to rest in who he is for you. It may also have a profound effect on the kind of desires you must have met in order to be content. Right? Can, you, can you imagine our delighting in God is, is occurring less and less and less. Our nearness, our appreciation, our devotion, our affection, our finding great value in who he is, that's getting more and more distance from us. And we're praying about stuff. More than likely, we're more and more and more dependent upon that stuff coming our way to fix us and to make us content and to give us a life that matters. All the while, delighting in having God has drifted so far from us. So that probably what we're praying for now, it could very easily have become idolatrous to us because we've failed to delight in God as we seek for things that are in our hearts. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is a similar thing to what Psalm 37 was saying. If I'm abiding in God's word and, and God's word is abiding in me, it's influencing me, it's informing me, it's prioritizing me, it's acting like a king over my heart. If I'm doing that, then my heart is going to be delighted in God and becoming molded and shaped. And I'm going to begin to pray prayers out of that shaped heart is going to begin to be what I'm asking God for. And his influence is going to give me affections and desires for things the way he has them in my life. And not just the way I'm desperately needing them because God's sense of nearness is so far from me. I think this is Hannah's story. I mean, this is, this is 
where we find Hannah in her life as she comes to this place of releasing her son. I'm going to skip those last two quotes there. Hannah's going to say something at the end here. and The band can go ahead and come back up here. Hannah's going to say something in chapter 2 that is mind-blowing. Theologically, it's mind-blowing. She starts off, chapter 2, says, And Hannah prayed. This is a woman who prays. She gets around God. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. This is a woman who just surrendered her three-year-old to the purpose of God who is exalting in the Lord and finding her strength in the Lord. I think that gives away that she has been a woman who has been delighting in the Lord. And so when this piece of her life goes in a different direction, she has not lost her delight in the Lord. That is still intact. And so she can give things in all kinds of ways because she still has that. And she's going to say some interesting things here. But when you get to verse 10, listen to what she says. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. Is king Hannah? I thought there was no king. You're right, there wasn't. But remember that new heavens and new earth? Remember that? There's a king. What is Hannah seeing here? This woman could teach some theological lessons. Her prayer times have gone deep. And she begins to pray this prayer out of them. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Do you know what that word is, the word anointed? It's the Hebrew word Messiah. You heard that word before? When when this woman crawls into her prayer closet, oh my, what a transformative impact that has on her. She gets around God and she begins to pray some pretty amazing stuff. So this anointed one, this king, you understand? She is seeing all the way to the end. The, the king who sits on the throne and all of creation is gathered before him and he judges the nations. This is the king that she's seeing in this prayer. The king who back up sat on the throne of David. The David, the little shepherd boy that nobody would have picked out because he was the last son that everybody would have overlooked except that there was a prophet named Samuel who identified David. And where did Samuel come from? Came from a woman named Hannah who prayed for years and years and years and then said, Lord, here, use for your glory and gave up that boy. And she prays this prayer at the close. The title of the message was The Prayer That Changes the World Also Changes Us. See, this, this is the richness of what prayer 
being around God accomplishes in our lives. So what I wanted to do in, in the close here of Summer Bible Jam was, was to, to shift our attention into a category of strengthening the ministry of prayer among us. I mean, I mean that corporately, I mean that personally. And Hannah is a, is a provoking example a heroic example of a person who was shaped and informed by prayer. But here's, here's another reason. It would be for me, and I think that all the elders would feel this way as well. I'll just speak personally. I can remember times when the kingdom of God felt like if you push on that, it will move. If you push on it this way, it will move. And there were just things you could do in the kingdom of God. And, and they, they brought about certain responses. And they brought about certain fruit. And so years of living that way in the kingdom of God. And the last seven, eight years has felt like push on that all you want. It ain't moving. Try that all you want. It doesn't produce the fruit that it produced back here. People don't respond the same way they once did. These are not the same times that you were once living in. Right? So these times feel much more like in that day there was no king and each person did what was right in his own eyes. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how to fix that. I don't know if I'm going to live in the day that we're going to see that fixed. But I do know this. That, that when God moves in dark places, he starts moving by awakening prayer in people to pray. Right, what, what Hannah stood on the edge of was a young boy named Samuel who would quickly emerge into a setting of influence while Eli and his house were falling under judgment and God was doing away with that corruption and putting in its place a Samuel who had a passion for God and who would lead well and would influence the people and would not lead, he would not look with natural eyes when God directs him to the household of Jesse to find the king, the next king who's going to be anointed by God. He's going to look past everybody that he shouldn't have looked past. And he's going to pick the kid who ain't even there. And he's going to know that's, that's God's chosen one right there. David. Listen, this, Hannah's on the verge. And, and, and David's going to lead the nation out of all these enemies that need to be subdued. David is going to subdue them. All these surrounding nations that were influencing and overthrowing and controlling the lives of Israel, David is going to put that to an end. And he's going to establish a kingdom and his son is going to build a temple that declares to us a revelation of God. Listen, Hannah was on the verge of something in a very dark time. The anguish the prayers, the wrestling with God, the shaping of this woman that she would pray the way God called her to pray. We need Hannah's today who will climb into prayer closets and wrestle with God 
until they see a kingdom agenda that catches their heart so much so that whatever is precious to them, they're willing to say, God, this is yours and this is yours and everything I've got is yours. For the sake of your kingdom coming, God, it's yours. I think that begins in prayer. So what we want to do, I'm going to do in the next couple of weeks is to teach a bit on prayer to help us invigorate that aspect of our lives personally and I trust corporately as well. But let's, let's let the Holy Spirit help us digest some of this. Stand up with me. you help us to hear personally what you're saying to us well this isn't this isn't a message for someone else this is this is for me Lord our times are dark times with significant waywardness around us there is still a king who sits on the throne over this world there is a throne for us to come to in prayer and you have given us access to that throne God we would begin we would begin here this week in pondering our own lives asking ourselves is there prayer in my life person drawing near to God have I gotten lost in times of prosperity and ease and comfort and personal interest and I I don't see or feel the need of the kingdom the same way God am I around you in a way that you would shape my heart am I delighting myself in you so that my desires are answerable and doable for the sake of your glory in my life. Maybe you're here this morning and you've lost sight of some of what Hannah had experienced. Maybe you've been longing for something and you're feeling the anguish of that and the difficulty of waiting and waiting and waiting. Have you thought for a moment God is ripening you? God is doing some things in you, preparing you for the due time. And the first time you thought maybe to ask for that wasn't the best time to give it to you. Maybe it'll be months from now. Maybe it'll be years from now. The God who closes the womb protects us often from ourselves by doing so and prepares us for the day when we will pray Lord not not my will but thy will be done as your son contemplated 
the cup of your wrath in the garden. His delight was in your will. Lord, would you inform our hearts today? Are you shaping us? Are you remolding us? Are you holding off on something in our lives? Because you are at work. God, you are sovereign and you are at work. Whether it's a closed womb or a delayed answer to prayer or a season that seems to never come to an end. God, we look for your hand and we look for where you are and we set our delight to be near you, Lord. And we are here this morning and you might be more connected to the early Hannah, the clenched hands clinging tightly, squeezing, holding on desperately for something. This morning, God wants you to entrust that thing to him. He wants you to open your hand up. And let whatever that thing is, whatever that thing you're clinging to this morning, whatever that thing you're desperate for and you're full of fear, if you were to lose it, God's saying, open your hand up. Open it up. And you let that thing sit in your life with your hand wide open to me so that I can have it and do it as I will. God, I pray for just a flood of your grace this week. We're going to spend time reading this week. We're going to hang out with Hannah and her story and her times. Lord, would you take these thoughts deeper into our soul? And would you make us to be a people who see and cherish and value the, the impact of prayer on us, prayer on our lives? Lord, as we pray for your kingdom to come, let it, let it come and shape us. Lord, as we want our world to be affected and the people around us to be changed, Lord, would you do that in us as we are around you? Would you take us from a people who can't eat and who are depressed to a people who find contentment and delight and joy in you while we wait. Lord, you did it for a nobody named Hannah. Lord, you will do it for us. You are good. And we trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Great week.